Okay, well, Second Samuel chapter 16 is where we're starting at tonight. Uh, you've heard of the friends and enemies. Well, we're calling that basically the same, only I'm turning it around and called enemies and friends. Because you kind of see enemies first here. But actually, we've seen friends of David. We're, we're learning who uh, the real friends of David are as they are following him where he's going and uh, as he's running, fleeing out of Jerusalem because his son is coming in to take over and uh, of course he would like to kill David. But there are a number of true friends and uh, when you're facing adversity like David is, it sure is nice to have friends, isn't it? And uh, faithful followers that they were, they they were very much so. It's funny that uh, a lot of his friends are Gentiles. Uh, because as he picked along the way, whenever he's running away from Saul, you remember that um, he actually got people from Gath and the, the enemies, the Philistines joined him. And so it's interesting how David was able to get those kind of friends that were really faithful and loyal. Uh, he leaves uh, another counselor, Hushai, and he's the guy that stays loyal with David, and he leaves him in Jerusalem. Doesn't want him to go because he can play the counselor for his son. <laughs> and uh, that's what we're going to see tonight. We know that he also has friends Zadok and Abiathar, which are priests, and he tells them to go back to Jerusalem and uh, be able to get information from his son um, and they can gather that and the priest's sons then can go deliver it and tell David what is going on as he kind of stays away and kind of in the background there but he wants to know what's going on what what does Absalom have in mind uh, he's not fully uh, knowing that, knowledgeable, but he's got a good idea what's happening. This passage tonight, it's filled with intrigue and drama, uh, a lot of action going on here, all those elements. and um, it's, a, it's an excellent story. That's true. And, of course, the spiritual aspects that we can get out of here, we can glean quite the much... We see God operating in uh, the scenes, only He's behind the curtains. He's really uh, controlling this in His sovereignty. So uh, let's uh, have a word with the Lord and uh, get into this text. Thank you, Lord, for this day that You've given us each day. What a privilege it is. Lord, how You work uh, in so many ways. Sometimes we don't even think about it, but as Penny was telling us the story about... uh, possible fires that could happen in our own house last night that uh, you are always working in things that we never even see or imagine and in this case we know that uh, you're you're in all of those things always you do care and uh, as Frida gets ready to take a trip up uh, to Michigan we pray for uh, safety and traveling and uh, has a good time at the same time we know that uh, She'll see uh, friends and family there, which is valuable. And uh, Lord, we give you all the glory in all things and uh, give us wisdom in how we interpret your passage tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. First four verses 
is dealing with Zeba. If you remember Zeba, uh, Zeba seems like a good guy. Zeba seems like quite the friend of David as we look at these first four verses. Already it seemed like that they're good friends. And uh, in this case, it looks like even more so. But you'll notice I'm saying looks like. Okay, Avel, can you read those four verses? When David had passed a little beyond the summit of Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth met him with a couple of assets saddled bearing 200 loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred of summer fruit, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The asses are for the king's horse household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will be given back to the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I do obsense. Mine says O B E I S A N C E. Obeisance? I do obeisance. I'm not sure what that means. Let me, um, let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. Ah, Seba. Working with a different translation here. That's definitely different words there. Yeah. Um, he passed the summit of the Mount of Olives now. Uh, he had crossed the, uh, the brook then went up the Mount of Olives. He's past that area now, and that's where a lot of the, uh, you know, the family and his followers and are all uh, there and beyond him there. And he's staying back just to see what's going on. And now he is met by Zeba. Uh, Zeba just happens to meet him there. Just happens to do that. And um, I think it's it's interesting. That it says here, behold. Servant of Mephibosheth, behold! It's like he wasn't there. You're not expecting him, and boom! Somebody shows up right there. You ever been at a store and you run into somebody you know real well, and you didn't see him, and all of a sudden they're standing right there? Well, this is what happens to David. He's not expecting to see Ziba. Ziba's a servant. He was really a servant of King Saul, and um, David actually blessed Ziba because he found out that uh, Ziba knew about Mephibosheth who is a descendant of Saul uh, and of course um, you have Jonathan right so here's one that is actually still living and we know that uh, he's kind of an heir uh, of Saul and David really gave favor to him because uh, David's friend Jonathan. And uh, anyway, that's a good thing uh, in that what they had did. And so 
you know, he informs David all about Mephibosheth that he had done before and brought him the news. Well, now he's going to tell a little bit about Mephibosheth. Um, and it's not going to be so good. Um, we know David restored Mephibosheth back to being the heir of Saul and gave him a lot of stuff and then had him return to the king's table where he could actually eat there with David and and his family. So he was treated royally, which he didn't really have to, but David showed quite the mercy and grace there. So we see Ziba again. He brings all these provisions. He's got donkeys, they're saddled, you've got all sorts of bread, raisins, summer fruits, jug of wine for all the you know the people that are going out there. And you, you got to make sure that you've got things packed up. I'm not so sure David had that much packed up because <laughs> they had to get out of there in a hurry. Right. And you got uh, family and you got uh, you know some wives and kids. They're not going to be able to get out of there really quick. Why did David leave? Why did he leave? You weren't here last week. Oh, that's right. You weren't here last week. He sounds like a chicken, doesn't he? He sounds like he's given it up. And we said the exact opposite. David played this very, very wise. First of all, it's his son. He doesn't want to go to war against his son and get a lot of his people killed Probably his son killed a lot of other people, and it also said in the text that city and what all has been built and such. He didn't want to see that all messed up. And he doesn't know exactly what his son has in mind. He knows that he's up to no good, probably. But let's lay back a little bit and see what's going on, and I'll keep my spies back there with the priest. And, uh, you know, he's got a counselor that he's keeping back there. He's his top-notch counselor who knows everything, who's like a prophet. It's almost like speaking the Word of God has now turned over to... Absalom. Absalom. Does that help now? That's what most people would say. And I always said, that chicken, what's he doing (laughs) running like that? I don't know if I thought that, but, you know, questions arise. Why is he running? He should stand up I mean, there and fight. He's got all these people hauling off with him. I mean, he's had, he couldn't Yeah, but Absalom has had, what is this, a total of four years to persuade the people and recruit an army. And This was kind of a good way also for David to see who was really loyal. I was thinking about that just as we were reading through these passages just today. I was mm-hmm. like, that is a good point that, you know, now God's kind of inviting the people who and their disloyalty and like all their grudges from there. He's separating them so that you know, maybe later on in years they feel more at peace. Yeah. So David, uh, David actually knows that he's got a following. You know, he went out there, and you know, I guess you know what happened. I mean, he made himself to be you know quite quite the leader. You know, he's making almost like judgments, or he's telling David's not doing the job, I could really help you out here. So he's getting a lot of people on his side, and of course he has that chariot 
<laughs> with the 50 men that are along his side and he's looking good with those golden locks. Remember about that hair though. That comes along in the one of the next scenes that will be coming up. He's a yeah, well, he's like a golden boy, I guess. It, it's, like it's a it's a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. About to cut it off. <laughs> it's getting on my nerves. <laughs> yeah. So David asks Ziba, "Hey, where's my fifth at? You know, especially when David's leaving like this." And he said, "Well, he's he's staying back in Jerusalem." So, you know, and then you know he gets the full account here, at least what he thinks to be uh, kind of questionable. Then and. Uh, you know the story is told that Mephibosheth didn't didn't come along. I, well, I'll tell you something else. Actually, he's waiting to get everything restored back, and uh, you know to be in Saul's line. And uh, by the way, that makes it look like David. Maybe he's not really on your side. So David just jumps on it like that. He says, "Okay, everything that Mephibosheth has." It's yours. I think the reason that uh, the servant here, Ziba, brings all of this stuff for them is a motivation of going there and being able to maybe tweak some things in David's thoughts here and uh, not make it look too bad, but at the same time, David got the message. Oh, well, then you've got everything that he has. He's going to be like that. Right. But, that's not the end of the story, is it? it you probably read ahead. I mean, I remember it recirculating, but my memory's a little foggy on it, so... We'll get there, I just remember we? it recirculates. <laughs> <laughs> so, David gave to Ziba and, and all his sons that had been given to Mephibosheth on the basis of Ziba's account and those gifts. I got it in quotation marks there, parentheses, gifts. They, that was mighty nice of Ziba, wasn't it? I think there was something behind all of that, though. But it's nice to have friends, but this guy may not be as quite as a good friend as you really think so. But David didn't know that. No, and you can see where the Lord might have used him to help David out. Yeah, they need this stuff. Uh, David's going to get weary here. Matter of fact, by the end of this section, in verse 14, all the people, they arrived weary and, and uh, he refreshed himself there at this particular place where they were at. So there's the uh, Ziba and the gift deal. Now you have another one who is uh, definitely an enemy. It is uh, a Shemai, son of Gera. He's actually a relative of Saul. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, David didn't really ever do anything to Saul, did he? <clears throat> well, if you think Shammai did, uh, he actually thought that David was a really worthless fellow and a man of bloodshed against Saul, his relative. Yeah, he was probably one of them once who were like, man, the king is right. 
And the king is totally right. These different characters are out of control. <laughs> you gotta take care of her. Hurry up, go get him. <laughs> it's interesting what God does in His Word. You've got David fleeing from Jerusalem, and then then you get some kind of help from this servant. But that's not the worst of it. It's like, okay, somebody is always going to get in your... You're doing something, you're in a hurry, and somebody just comes up there and causes you all sorts of havoc. It's interesting that God would bring this to light, that this guy comes along and creates enough havoc to make... David and his friends. What? What is this? You know, what's going on here? What? Why? It, why is this happening? You don't need this kind of thing going when you've got a huge thing going on in your life. This just adds insult to injury. Shammai appears, and he's not there appearing to mourn with David or give him any gifts. He's there to mock him and curse him and throw dirt and rocks at him. You guys ever remember Andy Griffith's show? Well, you can watch the reruns today of Bell and get an idea of what I'm talking about. But you guys remember that guy that uh, he actually threw rocks? You remember him? Ernest T. Bass. Do you remember? Do you remember Ernest T. Bass? Do you remember Andy Griffith's show? Yeah, he uh He would show up in Mayberry every once in a while, maybe a couple of times a year, and he'd throw rocks to people he didn't like at. He was just like this Shemai, and yeah, he had a pretty bad math mouth about him too. And of course he had that southern drawl, you know, so I guess the Shemai probably has a southern Israel draw. That's where he's from anyway, this area. So here we go. Here we go. Here's here's the cursing part. This man really appears to be really stupid about it all. King David came to Behurim. Behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul. There you go. Whose name was Shammai, the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and at the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Thus Shammai said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed, you worthless fellow. And I'm sure other things are being said. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. Oh, he's heard all about it. He's ready. He's ready to give it to David, and he's doing it. And uh, and behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you're a man of bloodshed! Exclamation point. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. <laughs> bring down, you know, the sons of thunder. Bring down fire from heaven. This guy loves to do this anyway. This is Abishai, right? Uh, you know, we, this is definitely his character. But the king said, What have I to do with you, old sons of Zariah? If he curses and if the Lord has told him, Curse David, then who shall say, Why have you done so? 
Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. So David and his men went on the way. Shammai went along on the hillside, parallel with him. And as he went, he cursed and cast stones and threw dust at him. Oh, man. What a dude. The king and all the people who were with him arrived weary. And he refreshed himself there. Oh, wow. This man is verbally assaulting David and physically abusing him. I'd suspect here that David's bodyguards are protecting him from all the stones that are being thrown and probably not getting any harm, but... Somebody's getting hit. Oh, just throwing it off. I think it's interesting the way that David takes it. You know, I remember reading this, and then with the events that took place during like my divorce, and all the negative things that were being said, I just remember thinking David. And I was like, see, if David, a king, can you know take this, and you know it came from the Lord. Not necessarily everything that this man has said has come from the Lord. Not like the cursing and stuff, but you know the rebuke. The Lord sends people to rebuke people. You know, and you know, the Lord allowed this man to go and rebuke David, and I feel like I received a similar rebuke, you know, because I felt I was like, like high up there, and then everything just came crashing down, and next thing I know, I'm just like bare and naked and nothing, and then the people who were on my side are now like cursing me Hmm. and saying hurtful things. So you were relating right to this this story and all the whole time probably with Saul and everything. That's good. That's great to to draw on, isn't it? When you really think about it, and it starts getting your mind in the right perspective. Yeah. You know, it's like, what do you mean? God's meaning for him to curse and such, and and is God making him do that? No, he's doing that. But right. God is putting this in the whole plan. Right. And David sees that. You know, God could have kept him from doing that, but he didn't. So, I mean, that's a tough thing to be talking about. And this is the sovereign God. You can say. (coughs) But this came from. This also, I was thinking. uh, I started thinking about it Monday. I started thinking about it Sunday and then a lot Monday and then today. And then about the rebuke that Nathan came with. And then when David started seeing everything take place, I keep thinking that those words of. Nathan must have rung in his ears and Nathan said you, you are not going to die so I think David's holding on to that promise that he's not going to die but then he's got to let everything play out right he knows he has to go through right and he, and he kind of understands you know some of this like said, there was said the whole thing back and back and yeah. all this stuff like this this is all stuff that is being said needs to be said mm-hmm. he was wrong and this is why you know, I think that the consequences to all this is what this is Right, and I think that's why he left his ten concubines behind. Right. And he took his wives. He took his wives and left ten concubines behind to maintenance of the house because he knew that part of the prophecy that needs to be fulfilled, that what he did in secret was going to be done 
in public and in, from coming from his own household. Right. So I think that he was just like, this is going to happen, but I'm going to take my wives and just leave the concubines. And then with this rebuke, it's just like a, his response to it is like, if the Lord has sent it, then it is sent, you know? Because I keep thinking also of the verse, you know, when, when sin is fully conceived, it gives birth to death. And maybe this is the conceiving part. Maybe this is the giving birth of sin, you know, because he did the sin. It had to, you it was know. A mighty, and it was a mighty sin. Yeah, right. and so it had to have time to, you know, how do you say it, like incubate? <laughs> It yeah, it's time. Yeah, right. So now house. it's time for the birthing of the sin, and then now there's death. You know, there's rape, there's murder, there's betrayal, there's sort of trust, and then betrayed of the trust with the son, and then the taking over, and then the leaving, and now the rebuking, and and now he's thinking back on God's yes. word. And I think, Penny, that might be a good answer there, too, for that fight-or-flight deal. You know, why didn't he fight rather than flight? <laughs> and I think all along, you know, he's realizing that God had already told him these things, and, of course, and his family and everything, and he doesn't want to do something very rash. Right. And that's why he's going to try to use some wisdom here in leaving, but he never really planned to leave his kingship. Right. He didn't ever do that, but he tried to keep from him forcing his way onto things, which we do, I think, quite readily sometimes. If something doesn't go right, we force things to happen, and still, yet it still doesn't work yeah. out. So that might be an explanation for that too, even maybe more so than anything. Realizing that God is doing His thing here and whatever comes out to be, you know. He told him the son would take his kingdom. Yep. And I think, I think this man who's, you know, he's accusing him for such the wrong things. You know, he's, he's cursing at him. Like if, if he had cursed him for the right things, you know, it would have, I would have been like, all right, David, you know, He's right, but here I'm like, he's right in the sense that you did kill somebody. And you, you, you sacrificed your men. You missed the point. <laughs> yeah, but, but he's blaming the whole kingdom of Saul on you. And that, David, that is not your fault. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what happened. But, there are but boy, they could have taken this yeah. guy out. But then that would have no just, just proven this guy's point, though. <laughs> that would have proven his point. He'd yeah. like, see, you're going to yeah. kill me. See, you bloody violent so-and-so. I got something to think about from last year with all the things that were happening out in the streets and cities and everything. You know, all the news. You know, when you have protesters and they're armed with sticks and rocks and they fill up their ice bottles and throw them at people. I mean, that's not funny, you know, what they were doing, but and there they are, they're challenging those they consider their enemies, which would be police, military, or cops, or whoever. And, and, you know, there they are, they're in their riot gear, they have all the protection, they're armed with tanks or automatic rifles and what have you. And there these people are, they have their sticks and their stones. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and they're out there yelling curse words. Boy, that's pretty close, isn't it? Uh, yeah. He accuses David of being a, a man of bloodshed, which it's true, David was a man of war, uh, but he didn't have anything to do with the death of Saul. Not at all. Matter of fact, he had times where he could have taken Saul out and he had, you know, humanly had every right to do it. And he grieved. He grieved Saul. Sure did. And he grieved it openly and publicly. So, yeah, this you think of this whole thing. This man is entirely out of line. There is nothing right that he's doing. Right. And whatever he's saying is totally wrong. And then just call him a worthless fellow. Um, you know, this this man, I'll tell you, it's amazing that David put that put up with that. But it's showing some patience here when, you know, anybody else would have been this could, have, this could have just been another temptation of Satan. There's oh, yeah. Satan provokes David I, later on in the I future. I find it interesting how quick he rose to do the leadership. I can't say that. Either. Uh, how quick he made that judgment, though. And then with this guy, he's patient. <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty good point. <laughs> yeah, the flesh just flew right out of him. Maybe because he made such a ra- irrational, quick decision. He's like, I'm going to wait this one out. And to hear that guy just rattling off with all the mouthy words that he's coming off, Abishai wanted to shut this man's mouth permanently and cut off his head. You know, take him out now. David refuses. He's lucky that's all Abishai wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> Torture him first and cut off his toes. Yeah. Is that right? Swords are scary inventions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this whole thing with David's got to be kind of interesting looking at from a military aspect because David was a warrior. I mean, he was an absolute warrior. He knew how to win battles and he could take on, you know, many, many people by himself. He knew how to hide out, but but he and that's the he is a great I guess you could say guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Oh man, the top of amazing. The class as soon as he got the, the green thumb, I guess that's what they say, right? Mm. Got the okay. <laughs> well, it's the same thing going on now in warfare. It's like Vietnam, just like back then. Win the battle, but you lose the war. Hmm. Mm. Been a lot of uh, innocent citizens killed out of all that too, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, pretty good would do, he had foresight of extending this out rather than letting that be consumed with maybe something that maybe wins the battle, yeah. You know, but well, you win the war of parts of mind after the battle, man. It depends on how you do it. Like the Ted Benson that never happened. And <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> your collateral damage, what's it worth to you? Unless you're going to do this forced earth, 
down through history and there have been some great leaders but for the most part I'd say most of them they might have started out right but whenever they had opportunities to take advantage of situations they would get the pride and destroy themselves destroy many people you look through history and it just over and over and over like you say Stalin and his millions um you can go all through the communist regimes. McCarthy was told to stop. 38th parallel. So I've never been beaten in battle. When we had the Chinese, Chinese uh, general. McCarthy pushed over the Chosen Reservoir. That's mainland China. They said, stop. i never been beaten. Chinese government, General uh, pushed him clear back. The bottom fence fought back up at 38th parallel where he was in the first place. Huh. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Once you're this far in history, you know, mm. well, how are you supposed to run a nation without, you know, pulling the trigger on certain situations? That was the end of the five star general. Because hmm. he said, I'm not the Supreme Leader of the Allied Forces, I'm not the President. Like, well, <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> That's what happened. That's why there's no more five-star generals. Because hmm. they become the leader. Yeah, four four stars and one five-star. Who are two? Ah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you'd think people would learn from history there too, wouldn't you? Oh, they're not like that. We're going to get rid of history and start over. Yeah, that's what they want to do. Well, David, um, I think, realizes that it's possible that God might be speaking to him through this ridiculous situation. And he looks to God for his vindication here. Uh, And then he's weary at the end of all. I mean, this has been... (laughs) quite a time that they've had and so there they are they get get a little rest here for a moment and uh, now Absalom has entered Jerusalem that's our next section Absalom all the people the men of Israel entered Jerusalem Ahithophel with him now it came about when Hushai the archite David's friend came to Absalom that Hushai said to Absalom long live the king long live the king Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why didn't you go with your friend, David? Then Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord, for whom the Lord, this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Besides, whom shall I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your advice. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, 
Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. That probably took a little bit more but uh, than I should have there. Probably should have stopped at 19 for a moment. But Hushai happens to be David's counselor now. And he is kind of like a spy counselor. Uh, and he greets Absalom as he comes into Jerusalem. Absalom ask advice then from Ahithophel which was a counselor of David who is with all this wisdom even the wisdom of God and remember he was like uh, the grandfather of Bathsheba and for some reason he really had it out for David as we see here we'll see in the next few verses that he himself wants to kill him he has a two part plan and by the way Chapter 17, when we go into that, first four verses there, it shouldn't have been a 17 there. Uh, it should just go right on in with the other one. Because this, the two plans that he has are all together. They're said almost right at the same time. It's not like it's like days later or weeks later. It uh, is actually, and here's what else he suggested. So here's the first one. Absalom turns to Hithophel now. Uh, he first meets Hushai and he's kind of leery, but what are you doing here? Yeah. You're David's best friend. I mean, you guys are great friends. What are you doing? You know, you, he relies on you and you rely on him. And you know, he says, hey, I'm going to stick with, with the king here and you're his son and that's you know, who I'm going to be there. I'm sure that Absalom's still wondering, you know, what's going on with that. But um, Ahithophel counsels Absalom here now uh, symbolically declaring himself in a way that is saying he's the king. He's taking the king's concubines. That in the, in the rest of the world's realm, that meant that you are now the king. That's exactly what he's saying here. He declares himself. And that's what advice that he gets from the former counselor of David. I'm surprised he didn't... Cause you know, Absalom asked, what do you think I should do about Ahithophel? And he's like, no, I'll just go into your father's wives. Just go into your father's concubines. Like, it didn't even care about Ahithophel. Because, like, or this, what is his name? Hushai. Hushai, yeah. He didn't even care about Hushai. He didn't even, it's like he didn't even bat an eye about Hushai or what his plans could be. He just was like, immediately, like, no, he's take your father's. He was just a little, he deserved whoever wanted him. He was there. Yeah, yeah, he, like, that's what I asked Audrey one time. And I said, Are you from South Carolina? I did, didn't I? It, uh, did I have a right to say that? <laughs> say that. Well, Mexico's pretty south. <laughs> okay, so what do we got? Hithophel says, I got an idea for you right here. I mean, real quick. Says, uh, go ahead and sleep with the ten concubines that are here. David left them here. And uh, this just makes it perfectly. 
uh, known uh, and the statement is made, you publicly sleep with them. Put a tent out there, put them on the roof, everybody knows what's going to be happening, word gets around, and it means that you're possessing the throne. That's what we first thing that we're going to do. That's what we're going to do here. It's not like it's spread out over the course of a long time. Um, David's just barely ahead. Yeah, this thing's happening quick. I used to think, okay, you know, he's got the the concubines and, you know, night after night and this goes on for like weeks or months or maybe, you know, a year or whatever. No, this thing is moving quickly. And David uh, is not moving as quickly as he would like because he's got a whole bunch of uh, kids, women, uh, you know, people slowing him down. It's a caravan. And Absalom is moving quickly. And he moves into Jerusalem, and uh, so he gets the advice from Ahithophel. Here's what you do. Show everybody that you're the king right here, right now. This is how you do it. So, uh, And it's, by the way, we've got to go back to Nathan's word. This is the fulfillment of Nathan's words in chapter 12, which we, we talked about. Uh, and it comes true right there. Uh, I don't think Absalom is trying to fulfill prophecy. You know, I don't know if he even really knows anything about that. But uh, prophetic words are being uh, come to the fulfillment of what Nathan, who spoke for God, said. David sinned with one woman, taking her as his wife when she was the wife of another. Now Absalom takes ten concubines of David and makes them his own concubines, sleeping with them. David sinned in private. His son here is doing it as a spectacle in front of the whole nation. Wow. That's saying a lot. David has got to be greatly humiliated in this. I mean, it's being having it rubbed into your face. But... This is making quite the statement. So there's there's the advice. Now when you get into chapter 17, it says furthermore in the Hebrew it would probably be better to say and. Or maybe not. Furthermore, here's the second thing I want to do. It, it's, it's a shame that it's divided up like this. It seems like, okay, now, much later on down the road, but he gives, I want to tell you two things. Here's the first thing. And then he says, Let me choose 12,000 men that I may arise and pursue David tonight. This is who? Ahithophel. He's the counselor who is also the grandfather of Bathsheba. I don't know how old this guy is, but I would say he's not a spring chicken. And he says, "Give me, tw- uh, you know, let's get twelve thousand men. They can get twelve thousand men together. I think they've already kind of got that together, with all the tribes and going out and what they did. Who knows how many have come into the city?" He says, "Let's get them together. Uh, I arise and pursue David tonight." And I think he's saying, like, it's almost what he's meaning. What it sounds like, I'm going to take the men out there, and while you're, you know, having uh, your demonstration with the women. Uh, you don't even have to come. I'm going to go out and we're going to get David with a whole bunch of them. We're not going to go out after all of the people that's with him that would be in defense or his army. We're just going out and we're going to get David. 
We're going to find him wherever he's hiding, hiding out, and we're going to capture him. We're going to, and I personally will kill him. Don't you worry about it. You just stay back and uh, have your evening. I find it interesting that I find it interesting that he's killing Absalom did the same thing to his brother. He had them all gathered together and then just had his servants kill them one. Yep. You know, and then let the rest of them go. How good are your servants, though? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same thing. If your servants kill somebody, it's your if you commanded it and they pursued it, that's no one here. Got them outnumbered anyway, right? Uh, yeah, I'm saying, I'm, you got ten servants, okay. I'll still with these servants. Uh, I know, but I'm still thinking the army of David. These are these are mighty men of David. Okay. These guys are their no army. Their soldiers are servants, and servants are soldiers. That's one thing. But if they're well, that they're common guys. This this guy is not going to take common house cleaning servants with him to try to kill David. He knows better than that. The servants weren't the concubines. I'm getting confused here. No, the the ones who go with. He went. He had soldiers. Like a team on him. He went soldiers. Yeah. I'm sure they had elite forces back then. I don't think Well, I mean, David had a big army. So when when the son took over, the son basically took the army too, and David was able to get out with some of his own personal but mighty remember, men. But remember, Absalom had already made friends right. with all of the other Name tribes in tribes. the area. So he had those men also coming with him. They all wanted to take David down because Absalom had been spreading lies about David for a long time mm-hmm. before David knew it because he was building his forces with his friends in the tribe. How many boys are standing army? Sure. Sometimes the numbers are like 30,000 plus. This is 12,000 here that they're going after David with you. Yeah. So I don't know how many David would have here at this time. It doesn't give us any numbers here. But later on, he does number them. Yeah, he will be numbering his army as they uh, as they continue on here. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, um, he says, "Okay, I'm going to get the men together that I may arise pursue David tonight." He says, "I will come upon him while he is weary and exhausted and terrify him, so that all the people who are with him will flee." So coming at night. Says they'll run. Then I'll strike down the king. He's going to do it himself. I'll strike down the king alone. I'm sure he'd love to kill David. He's at that point. Hard to believe. I will bring back all the people to you. Even all the people that's on his side. We're not going to kill anybody. We're just going to get David. Sounds like a plan. Uh, The return of everyone depends on the man you seek. Then all the people will be at peace. So all of the nation here will be cool. So the plan pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. You know what? Sounds like a plan to me, he's thinking. Absalom saying, okay, I'll get to stay here. I don't even have to go out. Absalom is just saying that sounds good. Uh, but it's interesting. Now he's going to turn to Ahithophel and says, hey, what do you think? That's our next part. Yeah, uh, uh, Hushai, sorry. I just wanted to say that mine says... And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. Ah. As in joy and everybody, it's peaceful now and everything's going good. It's like, you know, because it's, because you 
think about the Israelites being taken out, you know, that's still they're they're still part of one. They're still like together, they're like a married couple. And then when you when you got some fleeing from the place, it's, there's like a divorce there in that. And so almost like David is semi-divorced to Israel right now because he can't return to it. So as much as he wants to return, because he was he was exiled before, and that was a terrible feeling for him then, and even more so probably now, especially with all this other stuff coming down on him at once. You know, I think it's really interesting that this translation chose to use the bride and groom analogy there, and it reminds me of yeah. Christ and how he marries his bride and bring and then we're brought to him, and you know, we're finally united. So I think that's kind of like a reference there. Well, it's um, it's a plan that uh, the great counselor who had been giving so much wisdom to David all those years now gives to Absalom. Okay, now, here's the turnaround. Uh, verse 5, and this is Hushai's counsel. This is the one who David uh, is now relying upon. His friend... And uh, he's in the enemy's camp. Now call Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear what he has to say. He just met him earlier, I mean, you know, coming in there. And it's like, you know, this plan right here is going to be hard to beat. Let's just see whose side he's really on. When Hushai had come to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Ahithophel has spoken thus. Shall we carry out his plan? If not, you speak. I'm sure uh, Ab- uh, Absalom really thinks this is a good plan already. He's saying, yeah, sure, let's see you top this, since you're so wise yourself. So Hushai said to Absalom, this time the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good. Now, he's recognized this time. He's not perfect. This guy is good. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Ahithophel's a great counselor. Almost everything that he says is always right. But not this time. That's right. That's the idea. I'm disagreeing with him here. Moreover, Hushai said, you know your father and his men. He says, I want you to think about this. That they are mighty men and they're fierce. Like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. And your father is an expert in warfare. Greatest warrior Israel ever had, really. And will not spend the night with the people. Behold, he has now hidden himself in one of the caves or in another place. It will be when he falls on them at the first attack that whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even the one who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will completely lose heart. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. And you know what? What he's saying is true. Uh, that gave me chills. Yeah. I'm like, you, David's still awesome. David hasn't lost it all. He is still the man. But I counsel that all Israel be surely gathered to you from Dan even to Beersheba. This means this is going to take a while. We've got to get people all together. We've got to get a ton of people from all over Israel. As the sand that is by the sea in abundance and that you personally go into battle. You can't, you've got to be leading. You've got to be the commander here. 
you go personally, and we're going to go, and we're going to outnumber them. We're going to outsmart them. This is going to take time, and that's the idea. So we shall come to him, and that's why I say all of this is happening rapidly. Boom. They came in that day, and that by that night, that's they want to get you know uh, Absalom in the bed with the the ten. <coughs> what is it? What's the word concubines? <coughs> what you say? Well, I mean, he's had four years of preparation. Absalom has had four years of preparation, and so now it's finally time to cut the rope and watch the. Whatever well, I thought you might have said this. You're going to let that old man try to beat up on David. Come on. <laughs> 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 this counselor's saying. They said that. They just didn't write it. <laughs> so you don't really think that you're going to go out, he's going to go out there tonight and, you know, yeah, capture David and then everybody's going to. This is going to take a big, major uh, event to be able to pull this off. You just can't walk in there and kill David like this. I wonder if Hushai is his name, right? Yeah. I wonder if he heard the counsel or the advice of the other guy, Abishai. Yeah, like he did. Well, yeah. 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 And I I wonder if in his mind he clicked like like normally he would agree, but I think he really maybe genuinely disagrees this time with that advice. So maybe it just played in his favor. He's like, wait, you're going to do what? Yeah. Do you like, not know the do you king? Do probably what he was sitting there yeah. thinking. It's, like, it's probably like, it was such an easy counter. Like yeah. it, was, it wasn't anything that was like he didn't have to think or prep or try to convince the people. He was like, wait, you're going to do what? And then he did that bright thing. <laughs> you're sitting there saying that bright thing and the yeah. whole thing he's sitting there saying. Well, then you're going to also beat up the bride and destroy it. And then you're going to lose favor with those people there. So yeah. then you won't get this big bride over the thing going on. And then you're just going to... So that's why David drove back to Battle Gap. Definitely was. And he... Uh, all along, he was able to do that, either even when he was on a solo trip from Saul and his army. Yeah. Or when he started gathering men, and uh, he would take a small band of them and be able to defeat That's Philistines, what you name it. This isn't the first time David's been in this situation. <laughs> he never lost, did he? <laughs> he never lost, and it's not the first time. Because now that you're mentioning it, I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, yeah, he's been in this situation a couple of different times. And it's he's just, smart to it's just the yeah, it's just now. personal that it's with his own son. So it's more of his heart that's on the line than I think it is. So his strategizing was it was quick the way that he did it, and that's now that helps really to think why did he run? This is exactly why. Well, and of course he knows that he has his spy right inside, and you see God all along through this, and he'll tell that in a moment. God ordained for this to happen this way that. That would get the attention of Absalom, and Absalom is thinking now. You know, you're right. This, this is David. This is the warrior David. You know, it's like who does this? Who do people think they are to do that? So, shall we come to him and out one of the places where where he can be found, and we fall on him as the dew falls on the ground of him of all the men who are with him, and not even one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city and we will drag it into the valley until not even a small stone is found there. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, 
Council of Hushai the Archite? It's, it's actually better than the Council of Ahithophel. It's almost like he had this thought out, but I don't. I think this came off yeah. the top of his head. That's what I'm saying. It just seemed like when he heard the other guy's counsel. Was was just when that guy, he was hearing that, it's like, you're going to do what? Exactly. Yeah. He does the opposite. Yeah. No, you're going to have to have a lot of men. Yeah. More than 12,000. Because David's men will fight to the death. Please, the best will somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course they are. And I like what. Uh, at the end of there of 14 says, For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel. Do you remember the prayer that David had that about the counselor Ahithophel that something like this would happen? God's answering the prayer right there. And you wouldn't think he had a chance because what Ahithophel had already put forth Sounds like a lot better plan, a lot easier, yeah. and uh, much nicer. I'll just stay the night here. Uh, we'll get this thing over quick. And if the council saying, that's not going to happen. <laughs> For the you, Lord had ordained to thwart. <laughs> All of this is somewhere, you know, the time of David is somewhere in the vicinity of 1000 BC. The Lord is a warrior. David is a picture of Christ being the warrior. David, the great warrior. David, the king. Christ is the ultimate king. The Lord. You ever sing that song, The Lord is a Warrior? For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. This is God's plan. Okay, so that says that Ahithophel's counsel was better and the whole idea was the same thing. Yeah. You know, I, well, so if, if they had listened to Ahithophel, they would have gotten it. Yeah, they would have won. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it sounds like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he thinks about it, he goes, oh, thank the yep. Lord for prayers. <laughs> yep, that's right. And Hushai was right there at the right time. And you would think, who who's going to ask him about this? So I've always heard something good. Hey, what do you think of this plan, huh? Can you beat that? Of course you couldn't. Well, he did, didn't he? And so that sets us up for uh, what comes next next week. I'm kind of wondering what this what this word evil means. Because you know it when the Lord says that a great evil is going to come upon you, or a great evil is going to come out of your house, and it, and it really is. But Back then, from chapter 12, yeah. Nathan's yeah. prophecy. And then in, in so many other places, but and then here we have that a great evil is going to come upon Absalom. So, like, is there another, is that word evil, when we're reading that word evil? Yeah, it's like, is there is there different... Is that word evil? Is it the same word that's used in Nathan's prophecy, or is it, or is it like a different kind of evil, meaning like, like oh, just something bad, like so you're gonna die, like you're, because you're, or you know, I don't know. The, the well, it, it's probably related to it. I don't know what the. I wish I knew what the Hebrew words there, yeah. right offhand, yeah, and so I'll have to look that up. Different Hebrew words. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's used kind of different. 
because you know that David's army comes up against Absalom. Obviously, Absalom is the enemy, and David's army would be considered righteous and true because, I mean, obviously, God just answered this prayer. He's protecting David. He gave him counsel. So, you know, when he's saying the great evil is going to come upon Absalom, what is he meaning by that? Well, you remember in Genesis chapter uh, 50, is it 50, uh, where Joseph had actually talked to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant this for evil. But God meant it for good. And that's what's happening here. He's going to cause, of course... The calamity didn't come on his brothers there, but in this case, he's going to deliver David because that's all a part of the plan anyway, and it's going to, you know, work out that way. And of course, we know that the ultimate calamity is that this will bring the death to Absalom, which he deserves anyway. Yeah. So after everything that he's done up until this point, you know, like a a couple of chapters ago, I can see where his anger and his fury is coming from. I can relate to it. I can say, you know, I, I kind of see myself in his shoes at this point. But then after that, you know, after all the rest of the stuff that he's been doing and, you know, proceeding, I'm like, nah, my anger would have stopped there. You know, yeah. I, wouldn't, I don't think it would have proceeded to go as far as Absalom has. So. Yeah, so the evil is, is uh, still a part of God's plan. And, and it's, it's something bad. Yeah. You know, and ultimately it means death, and um, he's not going to have any kind of victory in this at all. Uh, but the Lord would, uh, you know, and anytime there are wars or anything, God's in total control of it, even though humans are the agents of this and they're coming up with their own plans. But yet God is sovereignly, totally controlling this, but man is responsible for what he does. And that is a tough one to understand because God does not make people sin, but the evil or the calamity or the bad things that happen, we know that He could keep from happening. And so here again is the sovereignty of God. And we come up to this last verse we read and we see the Lord had ordained this to come down like this for that there would be the counselor there that would be able to tell that and persuade Absalom to change his mind. And do it. Now David's got a lot of time or at least some time to work with. Right, right. Yeah, uh, have time to at least rest. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in a little time uh, it makes a lot of difference. What's this war about? Uh, the power? The... David took one of his soldiers' wives and then got her pregnant by And then, so he tried to bring the soldier home to get the soldier to sleep with his own wife, to blame the baby on the soldier. The soldier was trustworthy and honorable. 